Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So I always take it very seriously that, um, that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to be doing, that I'm saying what He wants me to say. And um, this week it was like a download, but I was like a divide internet connection. He was downloading stuff so fast I'm going buffering and I'm like, I, I couldn't write fast enough. And, um, but I'm really excited about this morning. I really am. It's, you know, this is the morning we celebrate the Lord's table and I even got it stuck right out here in front because um, I'm not the center of this table. Jesus and this table is the center and I just wanted that to be obvious today. Um, and, I, you know, I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me a minute. I'm, just, I'm even going to just leave a moment of silence for you to pray. Um, Jesus said that my words are spirit and they are life. He didn't say they, are, they have the power of the spirit or they have life in them. He literally said my words are spirit and they are life. And now we are the body of Christ. We are that ministry now. And um, I firmly believe that his intention is that our words, the ones I speak right now, the ones you speak before the day is over, are, are to be spirit and life. And so I'm just going to leave a moment of silence. And I'm just going to ask you to pray for us, pray for me for just a moment quietly that the words that we speak now are spirit and life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for praying. Thank you, Father. Um, you know, usually we have a message, and uh, on the first Sunday we have a message, and then we kind of shift gears, and I always try to come up with at least some way to tie the Lord's table into um, <laughs> what we just talked about. And the truth is, if you have a hard time doing that, your message was probably off somewhere strange. Anyway, but this morning we're not going to do that. We're actually going to talk about this table the whole time. We're, and there are moments where you're going to be tempted to think that we've changed subjects, but I'm just going to tell you right now, we haven't. We're going to be talking about the table the entire time. And as we start, um, it's just really, there are so many things this morning that are powerfully on my heart. Not just something good to teach, but the Lord has really put on my heart in the midst of all that downloading. Um, the first thing that I want to do is um, speak over you a prayer that Jesus has already spoke over you and is recorded in the scriptures. Now, I'm going to give you two options. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is option one. It's going to be up on the screen, or you can turn into your Bibles, and if you want to, follow along. Option two is if you want to close your eyes. Now, the Spirit of God is always with you, okay? But if you want to close your eyes and invite him to make his presence real to you and just, and just relax as I speak these words, you can do that too. Let these, words, um, let these words soak into you. Let something that he wants to speak to you out of it pop out at you and let him speak over that, okay? So either way you prefer, that's fine. I'm going to be in John uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 20. And I'm actually starting in the middle of Jesus' prayer. I'm starting at the part where he specifically mentions you. And here he says, 
I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, I suspect that the Lord had different things pop out for different people. Um, But notice that in his prayer, one of his deepest desires is this idea of oneness. He makes it very, very clear that he is one with the Father, and it is his desire when he prays over you, when he speaks about you, when he thinks about you, his desire is that you're brought into that oneness. And that is what this table's about. Um, and we're going to go some challenging places today. Um, but I, I feel like we need to start there, that this table is about oneness and, and his invitation to this table is about joining into being in God. And it's, it's about in us. You know that in their culture very powerfully and to some degree still in our culture, meeting around a meal is... Um, it's, a wonder, it's all kinds of things. It's a wonderful thing. It's enjoyable and it creates a place of fellowship. And, and, uh, but for them very powerfully, they knew that you were really declaring a type of unity or a type of oneness when you reclined at the table together. I thought about bringing recliners in here and sitting around there, but I, I've already caused a scuffle putting the table in such a strange spot here. Um, so anyway, I didn't. Um, You know, this morning we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, and I want to tell you what's so peculiar about this book. You know that um, a lot of the scripture, like if you take a parable of Jesus, um, you can take it standalone. You can just read that parable, you can meditate on it, and and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, um, it works. It'll transform you. It's a blessing. Do you know you really cannot do that with either of the books of Corinthians, including 1 Corinthians, that we're going to look in this morning. It's, a, it's an interesting book in that, so Paul is in Ephesus when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, okay? And I know some of you, because um, you've been putting up with me for a while, you kind of know what that means. Um, 
I love the book of Ephesians, and he's in Ephesus when he writes to the Corinthians. In other words, he's with a church. He's in a place where the church really kind of has it together. So much so that he's, he's not writing about milk and, and just the simplicity of the gospel message. Thank God it's so simple. But that's not what he's... In Ephesians, he's putting out there... Um, the meat. He's putting out there all the riches, all the glory, and how they order themselves as a church to manifest what as a, at the church at Ephesus really had, right? Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth, you might almost be, say like it's the opposite. Literally, you can read in some of the commentaries, and um, I believe I read, I believe this is a quote from one of them in my studies this week. They said, um, it was the most confused church, <laughs> I mean, they really had issues. In fact, both of these letters are answering questions, addressing issues, talking about discipline, straightening things out, because they really have it all mixed up. Um, having said that, and I don't know which verse, but in like the first six or eight verses of the book um, of 1 Corinthians, he commends them for something. Do you know what he commends them for? He commends them because they have all of the gifts manifesting. Isn't that interesting? And then he spends a huge portion of the book, though, kind of um, rebuking or straightening out um, what a terrible way they're using the gifts. We have some of those churches in our culture today where they have all of the gifts manifesting, but they're not exactly doing it in a loving, orderly, fruitful way, okay? That's really what he's writing to. But now here's the thing. Here's what I was getting at. In, in this book, if you take any portion of the book out of there as sort of like a standalone spot, even just like a paragraph out of there, and you use it to teach something or give an interpretation, it really does not work with um, the letters to the Corinthians because it's this broader concept and some of the most dangerous doctrines can be created by by grabbing things out of there in fact there are so many little subjects if you take them as little subjects that almost everybody can be offended or confused by what you're reading in there if you lack the context and by that in this case i mean the context of the whole book <laughs> okay so very quickly, I'm going to give you the context of this book. Now, I'm going to do this quick because it, it's my intention to give us lots of time for the Lord's Supper today. So cross your fingers and pray for me. You know how I am. That's, that's my goal anyway. So, like, so here in Corinthians in chapter 1, in the introduction, he really states the purpose of it all. He, he's talking about um, two problems that they're having um, two divisions and are problems. And the, the first one is, is that they're elevating people. And the truth is what it's talking about is like they're elevating their pastors or their ministry leaders or their teachers. And over the word of God, over the love of each other, they're making like superstar people. Don't ever do that to me. I'll run. And then the second thing that they're doing is they're elevating the world's ways and fleshly knowledge. Okay, this is, uh, this is what they're dealing with. Okay, you combine the two together, you have uh, a really kind of dangerous atmosphere, don't you? 
when it comes to um, the freedom of obedience in Jesus, the freedom of following him into all of his plans. That's a really terrible atmosphere. Um, Chapter 2, actually, I already spoke about chapter 2. That's the two problems. And then in chapters 3 through 7, he starts to give a reminder about the gospel in general and, and lays out all kinds of aspects of being stewards of that gospel. You know, you're a steward of the gospel as a member of the body of Christ. He talks about that. Chapter 8, he talks about liberty. In other words, he says, you really can't go wrong. Everything's permissible. Why is everything permissible? Grace, Grace, the freedom of Christ because of the blood. Everything's permissible. Interestingly, in chapter 9, he talks about the liberty to obey, though. He, he, take, he talks about liberty. You know, there's no chapter breaks originally. He talks about liberty, but then he talks about how he gives up his liberty. That's obedience. He says, I'm free to do whatever I want, but follow my example. I don't. I give up my liberty because I love you all. He's talking about the body of Christ, which brings us to where we're going to talk this morning. Chapters 10 and 11 is a conversation where he specifically begins to talk about love and concern for each other as the body of Christ. And I, I honestly believe you can, you can choose how you think of it, but I think the entire book is like a teeter. It pivots on chapter 13. You all know what the chapter 13 is? Yeah, the love chapter. Yeah, and then from 13 to the rest of the book, it talks about um, being a powerful body of Christ. A body that knows its gifts, a body that's, that's using them, a body that lacks nothing because we are all the built-together house, the temple of the Holy Spirit together, and so heaven manifests here. That's how he ends the book, and it all pivots on chapter 13. Now, I hope you're going to see why I did that. Because Honestly, if you don't do that and you take any of the little passages out of the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to the first letter to the Corinthians, it, it falls apart. It creates dangerous doctrine in it. And you'll think that you're just reading specifically, for example, what we're going to do this morning about conduct for this table. And in a sense, you are. We will be. But you're going to find out there's something far deeper in the context of the whole letter that he's talking about. Okay? This is the table where everything is freely given. Go with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and um, we're going to start in verse 14. So, in other words, I'm going to remind you, what we've done is, you heard that whole context leading up, starting right here, I think, starting right here in this verse, he begins a conversation that goes from here um, all the way to chapter 13. It's kind of like a conversation right in the middle that makes the point of the whole letter, okay? And here in 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. And listen, it says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we partake of that one bread. 
Okay, so begin the conversation of talking about the Lord's table. And the truth is, um, you understand, so the Lord's table is the body of Christ, right? Jesus said, this is my body when he broke the bread, right? He didn't say, this represents my body, this cup represents my blood. He literally said, this is my body, right? Okay, and what else is the body of Christ? Yeah, you are. So this table is all about us together, okay? And you read that here. Okay, so I just, I started there because I want you to see that all the way here, the conversation has begun about this table. And I want you to know that when you talk about this table, you talk about the body of Christ. <laughs> and when you talk about the body of Christ, you talk, you're talking about this table where everything is freely given. Okay, and that's so important to hang on to that because now I'm going to show you stuff. I firmly believe that God is about to heal and set some people free from some spiritual abuse in your past and that he's about to release his spirit in new ways for the release of spiritual gifts that you don't even know you have yet. I believe all of that for this morning. But in order to do that, you've got to recognize that, that in the context this table is about you, and you, your invitation to this table is the reason Jesus instituted this meal. So if you want to start turning there, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to start in verse 17, okay? And um, so on the surface level, we're going to start reading about um, good behavior <laughs> or good conduct at this table. And it made me think this week as I was preparing, I was thinking about my table in my house when I was a kid. My brother and I had especially bad conduct at the table. And one thing in particular that would go on at our table is my brother became a master of making me laugh when I was taking a drink of milk. In fact, he thought it was so hilarious to see me projectile milk out of my nose. He did it as often as he could. And it would cause this big scurry and we'd be in so much trouble. My mom would be, you know, throwing down napkins as I'm shooting milk like a squirt gun. And, um, and then I would get in trouble too. That's what was not just about it. All I was doing was drinking a glass of milk. <laughs> But this is kind of at that level. This is like the language is at the level of conduct at the table. But I'm going to challenge you to realize as we read through, in fact, I'm going to challenge you to, to do it at first and then I'm going to prove it to you, that he's talking about things far deeper than their behavior when they come together at the table. I mean, is he really worried about their behavior? Now, he's really addressing the purpose of the whole letter, right? Okay. So look with me, um, verse 17. It says, Now in given these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it, for there must also be factions among you. You notice it's two different words. And it really is. There are divisions. In other words, they're dividing under like they each have their favorite leader. I don't like when you teach. I don't agree. But when they teach, they really should be the leader. And they're doing that kind of thing. Do you know that um, the word factions, for there must also be factions among you? You know the original language word there is heresies. 
says there must also be heresies among you. Now, there are different ways they use that word. What they meant there was what we think of when you begin to exalt a leader, me or any one of our ministry leaders, you begin to exalt them in an unloving way for the body where factions are forming. That's one way they used the word heresies. And there it is, and it says, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Again, he says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You see, they think they're coming together for the Lord's Supper, but he's going, that's not really why you're coming together. And he's saying, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of, now we're getting into that behavior, takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? I love that. What with an exclamation point. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I, uh, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, I want to tell you what you're going to see next before I show you, just so you're tracking when we read it. Okay, um, and as I said already, he's not, fo he's not chiefly concerned about bad behavior. And I'm not preaching this this morning because we've had bad behavior in our church um, around this table. I'm going to show you something far deeper. He's talking about, do you know that behaviors only manifest because of what you're believing? because of what, what wounds you carry or the, the way you've been harmed or um, th those, those broken places inside of you cause you to, be, to behave badly. Do you know that? I've never known someone to wake up in the morning and go, this is a great day to, be, be, to behave as badly as I can. Nobody does that, right? So he's addressing um, something deeper. Now, and, and now I'm going to start proving it. Go to verse 23 with me. I'm going to show you wonderful things. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, I'm going to keep reading, but you've got to get this now. It's in rem remembrance of what? Me, of Jesus. We do this in remembrance of Jesus. Hold on to that. I know you know that. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so first of all, let's get something straight. This table is in remembrance of him. Okay? The second thing is, in verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What do you proclaim? His death. Now let's get something straight. Um, what is his death? Salvation. His, his death is the price required for your freedom his death is the price for you to freely receive okay um and i'm just going to go ahead and do this i'm going to put this out there now and then we're going to we're going to illustrate it and explain it um actually let me do this let me how many of you 
at some point in your life, if not like for most of it, the entire thing, you're well trained in making sure you have a time of repentance and you make sure your heart is right before you approach this table. <laughs> okay? Me too. In fact, I'm not, for obvious reasons, I'm not going to name the denomination or whatever that I grew up in. But where I grew up, you, they literally had me running scared. I mean, you would, sit there, you would sit there and think, oh, what if I hadn't thought of something? I might be approaching that table if we're going to read in an unworthy manner. Anybody else, right? Do you, do you, anybody in here? You don't have to raise your hand this time. I suspect that there are a lot of people in here who have had a pattern your entire life where every time before you approach this table, you take a sin inventory. And it's, I'm going to tell you that it's largely because of this passage that I'm about to read just next. And it's largely because... Um, Unintentional, okay, we love them all. But spiritual abusers have taken, have taken the next few verses and used it for your abuse instead of interpreting it out of the context of this book. Now I'm going to show you. Now look with me. In verse 27, it says, make sure I'm not getting something wrong. Okay, so we proclaim his death. What do we proclaim? His death. Or does it say we proclaim our sin? No, it says we proclaim his death. In verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So there's an examination here, right? Now, we would be very tempted, especially if we've been trained this way for 40 years or however old you are, that that's an examination, an inventory of sin to make sure you're right before you approach this table. Before I show you something far deeper and far more marvelous, let's just recognize how ridiculous that is. Um, Do you know that what would be an unworthy manner is to approach this table on any merit of your works whatsoever? (laughs) It would be utterly ridiculous to make sure you had your moments of repentance so that you're in a worthy manner before you come to the table, as if not having repented would make the blood of Christ less sufficient or something. Amen? Okay, now I know there are people struggling. I just ask you to bear with me because I know when you have like a 30, 40, 50 year pattern, you've believed this forever, it can be painful for God to transform or give you more freedom than you have right now. (laughs) I know that, so just bear with me. You see, and I'm gonna do this real quick. Do you know how often in the scripture you you read where where, uh, men, women are talking to God and they remind him of things. Are you tracking? Like, does God need to be reminded? What are they doing? What do they remind him of? They say, you're the God who took us out of Egypt. You are the God who took us all the way across the desert into, into a fruitful land and established us. You're the one who... And I'm not going to say never, but I'm going to go, do you very often, if ever, see them going, God, I'm the one who fails you all the time. I'm the one, you don't see that, right? 
You don't see them in their conversation, in their prayers with God, reminding him (laughs) how ugly they are. You just don't see that, do you? Why? Because what Jesus has done, even in the Old Testament before he did it, what Jesus has done is make it so that he doesn't need to be reminded about how bad you are. He wants you focused on who he is, not what you lack. In fact, you know, when, when we go to him and we're um, half the time, if you, if you sit down to take a spiritual inventory and try to write out my list, I'd have to have like 19 pads of paper um, before I could come to the table. Um, but if you do that, do you know that you're really just confusing to God? He's sitting there going, boy, I hear what you're saying and I hear what you're bringing to me, but when I look at you, all I see is the blood of my son. I'm trying as hard as I can to find what you're talking about, but you're shining forth as white because you're covered in blood. (laughs) You're talking about that, and for some reason I'm completely confused by my son's death for you, what we proclaim at this table. (laughs) Amen? I'm trying to track. I'm just not on your wavelength. What are we talking about again? (laughs) That's what the word of God says. It says that, you ought, that he made you the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. When you expend your energy taking a spiritual inventory for everything that's wrong with you, God's waiting for you to get finished with that so you can move on to freely receiving. Amen? Now I'm going to show you the most wonderful thing. Verse 29 I don't think we're going to have all that time because I'm so, <laughs> I'm so excited about this and I, I know that I'm supposed to say this. So, <laughs> In verse 29 it says, um, and this is following up. Actually, let me go back to 27 because I want you to hear it again and then I want you to see what it's really saying. Verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. So um, what's an unworthy manner? That's what we've got to answer. Just next in verse 29, it says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. So is it serious? To come in an unworthy manner? Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's just not what I think we're, we're mostly taught in spiritual abuse most of the time. It goes on and says, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. Now think about the context of the entire book. If you're actually to take the verse in context, what's the book about? The body, Jesus. It's about them having divisions among them. It's about them, it's about them having weaknesses and problems in the church because the, the spirit is being hindered because they have all of the gifts present, but they're not manifesting properly because they're not loving and they're not in unity. Remember, this table is all about declaring the Lord's death. It's all about the invitation to be in his body, to be a member of, of the oneness of his body, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit where the activity of heaven can break out among us, for us. 
Amen? So it says, it says not discerning the Lord's body. Who's the Lord's body? So look, if you've always viewed this scripture as not discerning that like, that like when I take these elements, I have the Lord's body, um, that's fine. That, that's good. You can keep that if you want, and that's, that's good because I do believe we should have a reverence that this is a sacramental, this is a sacred moment. Okay, I'm just telling you that's not exactly what this is saying. What this is saying, discerning, we don't discern the Lord's body. In other words, well, we don't discern each other. You are the Lord's body. You following me? And if I'm making your brain smoke and it's a little bit painful, keep going because I'm going to prove everything. In, in verse 30, it says, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Isn't that odd? Now, let me tell you something about God. He's not a punitive God. <laughs> There's no way you can rightly interpret this to say, well, since some people come to this table in an unworthy manner, I'm going to strike them with sickness and weakness. That's not God. He doesn't do that. This is talking about the practical implication of approaching in an unworthy manner. What's an unworthy manner? Not being in unity, not discerning the body, the spirit in the person sitting in next to you, not discerning that. You see, that would result in weak and sick and sleeping among you if we're not discerning the body, the spirit in us. You follow? It makes sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot more sense than a legalistic, spiritually abusive, like, oh, you better take your inventory. That doesn't make any sense. Not in the context of the whole book of Corinthians, not in the context of these paragraphs does that make any sense. So my prayer this morning is that many of you are just set free. And look, if you want to keep doing it, the Lord has honored every time you've done that. <laughs> He's nuts about you. He loves you so much that every time you've gone, come and brought him his list, he's like, oh, thank you very much. I will take that. <laughs> My heart is exploding with love for you. Now come on to the table, would you? <laughs> and he will continue to honor it that way. If you just need to repent because you have a 58-year-old habit, do it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm just telling you there's something far deeper. He wants us to discern the body because that's what this table is about. This table is about us as a unified body, members bringing gifts, temples of the Holy Spirit coming together into one body so that there's no sick or weak or sleeping among us, so that our needs are completely met. You know why some of your needs are not met? Because the person in next to you is not doing their job. Give them an elbow. No, don't elbow each other. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's what this is about. This table, this passage. Discerning the body. Do you know your gift? Do you know the gift of the person sitting in next to you? Are we, making, are we asking God to make this a place where the Spirit of God is free? To meet every need. To manifest the gifts. That's what this table's about. Did you know that? Nowhere in the scripture will you ever find a place where this table is mentioned as a place for repentance. That's baptism. <laughs> He's not punitive. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must, two things, believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, he's not a punisher, he's a rewarder. So why are there weak and sick and sleeping among them? It's not because he has a punishment for them. It's because they're not discerning the body. The spirit's not free to move through the members of the body one to each other. If you're still not convinced, just hang on with me. Go. You know, this continues on right into verse 12. Now remember, I challenge you not to look at the chapter breaks and not to think because all of a sudden we're speaking about spiritual gifts that we've quit talking about this table. I'm going to prove it in a minute. We're still talking about this table. Chapter 12, verse 1 starts, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. It looks like a massive subject change, doesn't it? But it's not. <laughs> he was just saying for this very reason, there are weak and sick and sleeping among you. You know, you know how that is. It's like um, if, you're, if you're a writer, if you're a speaker, if you do anything where you have to set up an introduction, you know what you do? You go, you go listen, I got to tell you about A, B, and C. Okay, y'all got that? And then you go, now, let me tell you what we're here for. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he gave A, B, and C, and then he goes, now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. <laughs> you sit right there. I just, you're the one that has to be... <laughs> and he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols... However you were led, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, verse 4, just in case your brain's smoking and this is kind of new for you, what we're a little scary, what we're doing here, verse 4 says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Are you getting it? He didn't change the subject. This table is about us being the body of Christ, discerning the body. When you come, when you come to a meal, you come together to come into a place of unity so that you can discern the body. One spirit. He hasn't changed the subject. He goes, verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. How many of us have the manifestation of the Spirit intended over our lives? Each one. And what's it for? For the profit of all. See, discerning the body. The context is so important. Do you see how if you just, especially in these letters like this, if you just grabbed a piece, you'd be so far off track, it'd be unbelievable. And that's what's been done. Do you see that? <laughs> he says, for, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, 
to another discerning spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. We're still talking about this table. In verse 12, continuing on, it goes and says, for as one, I'm sorry, try that again. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He didn't say this represents the bread. He says, that, he says this is the bread. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made, now listen, to drink into one spirit. And just in case there's still one person struggling. <laughs> it just said, we haven't changed subject from this table. I'm going to prove it. He says, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. What did Jesus say the cup was? The cup of the new covenant of my blood. What is the new covenant of his blood? Us. It is the change from the spirit in, in various times and places the spirit would come upon. I believe that's almost an exact quote from the scripture somewhere. <laughs> the new covenant of his blood is that we are all vessels of the spirit. The spirit is upon all of us as we become one body. We drink into one spirit. We become one body. We're still talking about this table. Why is there weak and sick and sleeping among you? We're not discerning the body. <laughs> There's a consequence for just kind of coming together but not really coming together. He's not a punisher. There's, there's a consequence, there's a reality <laughs> when we don't come together as he's provided, as he's made available for us to come together. Does that make sense? Look at somebody sitting right next to you and I'm just going to plant some thoughts in your head. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, go ahead, look at him, look at him while I talk, look at somebody. That person has the spiritual gifts that you need so that you're not weak, sick, and sleeping. That's a lot of giggling. <laughs> or let's do it this way. Even though that person looks really goofy, <laughs> they're the place of the power of the Spirit of God for you for the profit of all. That's discerning the Lord's body. That's how we, that's the unworthy manner. What's the unworthy manner? When we fail to discern the Lord's body. <laughs> all right, I'm pretty sure I'm out of time. That's good. I'm, that's probably good. I'm just going to grab some things. The verses aren't even available for up here, but like later on in verse 20, it says, but now indeed there are many members, but yet one body. Verse 27, 
I'm skipping, skipping. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You see, what I'm showing you is that, because um, I, I know that this is challenging somebody, maybe even many, because you're like, I've never read it that way before. Or some of you are saying, I've been abused over that my entire life. <laughs> I didn't have enough time to repent all my sin before you rushed me to the table. <laughs> I'm, I'm eating judgment on myself. Ah. <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with the sufficiency of Jesus' blood to cover the things you're not even aware of that you're doing wrong. (laughs) It has everything to do with understanding that we are the body of Christ and that his, his plan is that we are filled with the Spirit manifesting our gifts for the profit of all so that we lack nothing. Ephesians says, coming to the perfection, to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. Those words never stop blowing my mind. Can you imagine yourself? He's bringing you into the fullness of his stature. Of his stature (laughs) is his plan for you. Wow. Father God, we thank you for your invitation to be one, to be a part of you, to be sons of God, to be children of God. We thank you that we are the temple and the dwelling of your spirit and it is ever your desire to release your spirit through us for the profit of all. We ask that this morning miracles would happen, that healing is happening over here and over here and spiritual abuse and bondages are being set free on both sides of this sanctuary and all over this place. I ask, Jesus, that you are releasing right now in the name of Jesus your spirit in ways that releases your gifts. We ask that this would be a house where weakness and sickness and sleeping are about to be eradicated in the name of Jesus because your spirit's going to be released and you're going to fill our every need in the name of Jesus. Amen.